Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of June 12th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And as we mentioned last week on the pod, this was a very quiet week on a relative basis, of course, on the economic data front and on the earnings front. In fact, we only had a few economic data points that are worth covering. And, and the economic data points that we did have were largely focused on the services sector. And both of those missed or were slightly below expectations. The S&P services PMI, which is a pretty good gauge of the services sector in the United States and all of the components of it, did come in at the highest reading we've seen in basically over a year at 54.9, just below that 55.1 forecast. So it's still in expansion territory. This is the fourth straight month that we've seen stronger readings in that expansionary territory. But what I'd like to point out is one of the quotes that we saw in there. And that's a quote that I think is reflective of the operating environment. So One of the respondents, one of the industries that responded said, although down considerably on last year's peaks, service sector inflation remains higher than at any time in the survey's 10-year history prior to the pandemic, bolstered by a combination of surging demand and a lack of operating capacity, the latter in part driven by labor shortages. So the takeaway there for me is that inflation in the segment is still robust and importantly, It's driven largely by demand. So demand for services continues to be an expansionary territory and continues to sort of belie what some of the other economic data is saying about the risk of or the potential for a recession. We also got an ISM services print, which was also a miss, still an expansionary territory, but only slightly so at 50.3. It declined 1.6 from April's reading, so going in the wrong direction. But this is the piece I thought was really interesting. The past relationship between the services PMI and the overall economy indicates that the services PMI for May, 50.3%, corresponds to a 0.2% increase in real gross domestic product on an annualized basis. So for those who say we're not in a recession and that we're not going into a recession, that lends some credence. Economic growth is positive, albeit somewhat muted, and those who think we're either in one or entering a recession don't have a lot of economic data to back them up as it relates to this economic data point, specifically the services sector. I'll also say one of the survey respondents said this, there has been a pullback in the rate of growth for the services sector. This is due mostly to the decrease in employment and continued improvements in delivery times, resulting in a decrease of supplier delivery index and capacity, which are in many ways a product of sluggish demand. The majority of respondents indicate that business conditions are currently stable. However, there are concerns relative to the slowing economy. So the only other data point higher than expected initial claims that was even worth writing about or talking about basically meant that the week was largely focused on the services sector. And that services sector data was telling us that the services sector remains somewhat strong. Inflation is stubbornly high in that segment, but the economic data that it's portending to isn't necessarily as robust as some 
Wall Street firms, some buy side shops, some folks who are prognosticating on the strength of the economy are predicting. And the reality is, is that still positive GDP growth based on that services print, but it's a very slim positive margin on the GDP front. It will be interesting as we go into the back half of the year, as some of these higher rates are able to work them through, work themselves through the economy, what the impacts are. Now, S&P 500 was up just 40 basis points this week, so now up just shy of 12% for the week. We had 680 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup, so a decent week in terms of volume and activity. Interestingly, on that point about services and the robust spending at the consumer level, consumer discretionary was the best performing sector for the week, up 2.68%, while the worst performing sector was consumer staples, down 68 basis points. Also interesting is the only other sector beyond staples that was down for the week was technology down 53 basis points. So you can read into that a number of ways. Week, week to week activity can be noise, often is noise. And XLK had been on such a run that could have been some profit taking, could be a pause. But we are seeing some signs, if not early initial signs of some rotations within the market. We saw small caps outperforming large caps over the course of the past week. We also have now seen this week some indications that some of the cyclical sectors are starting to, at the very least, show some signs of strong relative performance relative to their growth counterparts. For example, we had industrials up 1.45%. We had energy up 1.8%. Consumer discretionary, very much a cyclical sector, certainly in the growth camp on a relative basis, also had a very strong week. At the same time, we had pretty strong performance from some of these defensive sectors, XLU up 1.95%. So the the story, as always, this stuff can be confusing. Week-to-week action doesn't necessarily paint the full picture, but perhaps we're starting to see a rotation in the market, and we're starting to see some breath in the market that we hadn't seen over the course of the past few months, and certainly not for the six, first six months of the year. And I think that's what some market participants are waiting for, is some participation from stocks other than those big 10, those big eight that have been driving so much of the market's performance so far year to date. On the flows picture, about 10.5 million shares in net creations across the select sector spider lineup. 6 million new shares created in XLF. That's about 200 million in inflows across the trailing one-week period. 5 million in XLI or industrials. That's about 500 million in net inflows over the trailing one-week period. And then, again, 6.2 million shares redeemed out of XLE. That's about 500 million in net outflows out of XLE or the energy sector over the rolling one-week period. So, again... Financials tends to have these big swings on a creation or redemption basis. XLI, very cyclical in nature, a sector that we've seen some somewhat interesting redemption and creation activity more recently. And then XLE, which has had a pretty significant trend of, of outflows over the, the bigger picture here now for a number of months and another 500 million going out of XLE over the one week period. Then we had 1 million in, in creations in XLP, XLRE, and XLB in terms of shares. And so just a smattering of of new creation activity in those sectors, not much to read into in there. And XLRE is part of the sector in focus this week. We're going to focus on XLF and XLRE. We've done this in the past, but remember, back in 2017, XLRE was broken out of the financials sector and elevated to its own individual gig sector. And it's a sector that a lot of people carved out on their own anyways, real estate that is, as an 
independent asset class in some cases as a portion of an income sleeve. Certainly most people, most advisors thought about real estate independent of the broader financial sector. And so breaking it out just was validation there. And if you go back to that period of time when XLRE was kicked out of financials, financials is up 96 plus percent over that period of time on a total return basis. And XLRE is up just shy of 45 percent over that time. So nearly a double on a relative basis for XLF versus XLRE. And even if you go back to COVID and the sort of COVID bottom, XLF's up more than 80% or so since that COVID bottom, XLRE up just 41%. So we talked a lot about how that market bottom and some of the violent rallies we've seen in various sectors and various segments of the market off that COVID bottom, XLRE hasn't been one of the sectors that's rallied as significantly as some of the other segments of the market, including financials, which year to date is down 2.6%. XLRE is up 1.22% year to date. So on a relative basis, XLRE looks a lot better so far in 2023. But I think when people think about real estate, public or otherwise, they often associate it with these office closures and these empty buildings and these big metropolises. And the reality is we've talked about time and time again on this podcast is that the makeup of XLRE just isn't that it's made up of tower companies. It's made up of data centers. It's made up of specialty and storage REITs. There's not a lot of office real estate exposure in most publicly traded REIT portfolios and certainly not in XLRE. And so, whether that's just an association, whether that's just a stubborn revaluation of the segment that we're seeing persist in the market, it is interesting that XLRE has lagged the financial services sector, the financial sector so much since they broke apart from the financial sector back in 2017. And it's not like XLF has led the market over that period of time. It's not like it's been the best performing sector in the market this year. It's not been the best performing sector off the COVID bottom. And in many ways, it's a sector that faces the number of challenges, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast with the regional banks and the challenges that they've had so far in 2023. Now, of course, XLF has sort of separated itself from some of those smaller cap and mid cap banking institutions because the larger names in XLF have done well on a relative basis. And even companies like JP Morgan have gone out and bought some of these failed banks. And I think that's reflective to tie a bow on this of the differing fortunes and perceptions of financials as a sector and XLRE as a sector or real estate as a sector. And going forward, the question is, is what are the expected returns of these two segments of the market? Because if you look at real estate, it's trading at a discount to net asset value has been for some time on the public side. A lot of people have funneled money into private real estate portfolios, very famously trying to get out and being met with gating and, and the like. And so going forward, this segment of the market, which now has exposure to more economically sensitive segments, whether that's towers, whether that's data centers, whether that's self-storage and the like, might perform differently in this new economic environment than your traditional real estate portfolios have in the past, whether that's office or industrial exposure in a typical real estate portfolio. So, so certainly something to think about going forward, the relative fortunes of financials and real estate as we enter this new regime. On the economic data front, as we signaled, big week. One of the biggest we've had in quite some time, in fact. We've got PPI, we've got CPI, we've got a Fed decision just to put a 
cherry on top of the old Sunday. And then we've got retail sales and consumer sentiment. So we're going to get this avalanche of economic data coming into a week in which the market was largely flat. I mean, up 40 basis points, but by and large, not a robust week in terms of performance. People probably trying to position ahead of this more meaty economic data that we're going to get next week. And of course, the questions that everyone is asking is, what is the trend for inflation, both at the consumer level and the wholesale level? We'll get that in CPI and PPI, both on a headline and core basis. And then, of course, where are we at with the Fed? Are they in pause mode? Are they hiking another 25 basis points? Are they in a pivot? And a lot of those decisions are going to have to happen in fairly short order because that PPI and CPI print is so close to the Fed decision. And there's only so much time to analyze that data if you're the Federal Reserve. And then retail sales and consumer sentiment will give us a clear indication of the state of the consumer as we head into the summer months. And as we all know, the summer tends to slow down and we've got the 4th of July holiday right around the corner. And as a result, volumes tend to thin out and market action can be highly influenced by big economic data points like this, not just this coming week, but in the coming weeks. On the earnings front, not a whole lot. Once again, Lennar, Kroger, Adobe. So some interesting companies, of course, that are widely followed and widely held, including in some of the select sector spiders, but not necessarily the meat of earnings season, which we've, of course, largely gone through as the vast majority, nearly 99% of the S&P 500 by weight has already reported earnings. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. For more information on the Select Sector Spider lineup and sectors in general, please visit sectorspiders.com. There's a new report up from Ned Davis this week talking about the strong performance of cyclical and growth-oriented sectors and what that might mean for investors. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.